0: You are Locked On Bills. Your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have amazing selection Reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need, visit rockauto.com and tell them Lockdown sent you. Happy Tuesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast episode each week where you take control of the discussion by sending in your questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills and I address them here on the podcast, so let's do just that. The first one today comes from Chris who says, the special teams were flagged for two blocks in the back. I have never played the game in any organized way, much less at the speed and intensity of college or the NFL. Is it hard to avoid blocks in the back? It's a good question. And the reality is blocks in the back on returns in the NFL are quite frequent. And it's pretty disappointing because it seems like something that is avoidable. Don't block people in the back. However, when you're trying to execute those assignments and you know that You have a responsibility to fulfill on a play. You may find yourself in a compromising position and in an effort to execute your role, do something you're not supposed to do. Think about it like this. You have somebody that's running full speed down the field that wants to avoid you and make a tackle. And you have to be squared up and stay in front of them and connect with them only in the front. That's challenging. These are really talented athletes, and they want to get around you. They want to make a tackle. And you're talking about special teams, bottom-of-the-roster type players a lot of times, and you're going to do aggressive things to execute your role. And so staying squared up in those situations can be quite difficult. I often don't take much exception with penalties that happen within the snap. The penalties that drive me crazy are the pre- and post-snap penalties. Lining up in the neutral zone, offsides, false start, illegal procedure, illegal motion, all that type of stuff, illegal formation. Pre- and post-snap penalties are the mental mistakes. If you're just trying to be aggressive and make a play, that's where I have less frustration. Now, it hurts the team when you commit a penalty, but sometimes they're difficult to avoid. And the assignments that these guys have to fill are challenging, and the stakes are high. And so I think that's why you see a fair amount of blocks in the back and holding penalties on special teams plays. Now, I wish there was less of it, but sometimes it's hard to avoid. The next one today comes from Tim, who says, It seems anytime that Josh Allen has less than 300 yards passing and a ton of touchdowns, there's a bit of panic. Can a quarterback have a great game in these 35-0 to or 40-0 to games without huge stats? Isn't there a different level of aggressiveness needed for these blowout games? You know, Tim, I've seen some of this. I've seen some people get a little bit nervous when Josh Allen doesn't throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns and rush for another 50 yards with a touchdown. And I think as a fan base, we're still getting used to having a top-tier quarterback, and a top-tier team. And we think that top-tier quarterbacks are supposed to do that every single game. And that doesn't happen. Go and look at some of the best seasons that quarterbacks in the NFL have ever had, and there's all types of different stat lines that exist within the entire season. It just feels like there are so many people within this fan base that can't wait to push the panic button. You know, Josh Allen comes out and throws a, an interception on the first play of the game, and nobody wants to see that. But that stuff happens in football. Look at how he responded. Remember the context of the situation. Let it play out. This is a really good football team. They went 13-3 last year. They won two playoff games. They were in the AFC Championship game. They're 3-1 and one to start the year. They're 16-4 over their last 20 games in the regular season. They've earned the benefit of the doubt. So just enjoy this really good football team that we have, that we've craved for almost two decades, and realize that not every single moment of every single game is going to go the Bills' way. The other team gets paid, too. The other team wants to win, too. So sometimes they're going to make a play. Sometimes the Bills are going to make a mistake. But let's see what happens at the end of 60 minutes. There's ebbs and flows. Not just within a game, but within a season. Remember week one? I know it feels like a long time ago, but that happened. And now look at this team. Just let it play out and enjoy this football team that we've wanted for so long. It's right here. We're living in this moment. Let's enjoy it. Next one today comes from Ray, who says, Hey, Joe, I know you were in attendance yesterday, so I'm going to lean on you to give some perspective on the Cole Beasley situation. I watch every game with my family here in Hawaii, and even my wife turned to me and said, What's up with Beasley? As a few times we noticed his body language and attitude just wasn't the same. Compound that with his tweet today, and it looks like we got some more Beasley drama on our hands what did you notice? What are your thoughts regarding this situation? So as for the game yesterday, I think being in attendance probably didn't give me the best vantage point of picking up on those Beasley body language moments. You know, he had a quiet game, two catches, two receptions. Let's not forget he had a career high, 11 receptions last week against Washington. And so I definitely didn't pick up anything like that. Now, I certainly am someone who believes that the crowd is saying bees. Now, I'm sure there are some boos, but to me, it's overwhelmingly bees and a lot of cheering. Now, I can't speak to Cole Beasley getting heckled on the sideline or fans calling him out in public or yelling into his car. Those types of things, right? John Feliciano alluded to that on Twitter that those types of things were happening. So I think... In general, when you hear what sounds like a boo when Beasley is introduced pregame or he makes a catch, it's mostly people saying bees, but those other moments could be what he's referring to. Now, here's my overall thoughts on the situation regarding his tweets from Monday. The Bills just won the game 40 to zero. They have two shutouts in the last three games. They're scoring a ton of points once again. The power rankings are going to have the Bills right at the top. This season is on track. The story on Monday regarding the Buffalo Bills should have been about the team and where it's headed and a big game with the Chiefs coming up on Sunday Night Football. Instead, we're talking about Cole Beasley. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. To me, that is a distraction. To me, that is making it about him. Yeah, we won 40-0, to but people booed me. That bothers me. And I know that I've somewhat defended Beasley, and I've tried to diminish some of what this impact is on the team and on the locker room. But the fact that the story regarding the Bills on Monday – after a 40 to nothing win, after shutting out their opponent two of the last three weeks, after a dominant performance by the defense and another really good game for the offense, we're talking about this. And that's what I don't like. The next one today comes from Chris, who says Just wondering after attending the game Sunday if your thoughts on the stadium have changed at all. I know reports are that the new stadium will be open air, but just wonder what your thoughts are after sitting in the rain for a game. To me, rain is worse than snow. Hope you enjoyed your time in Buffalo and go Bills. So I did think a lot about the new stadium while I was sitting at the current stadium. This is one thing that I will say about Highmark Stadium. It's a good place to watch a football game. It really is. The way it's set up, there seems to be really good sight lines to the field. And it's, a, it's just simply a good place to watch a football game. Now, I know that's a dated stadium and that the NFL kind of needs there to be a new stadium and that there's concerns about the architectural integrity of the upper decks and things like that. So the Bills have to get a new stadium. But I did come away with an appreciation for how good of a venue it was to simply watch a football game. And to me, that's what's most important. I don't need bells and whistles. I don't need social gathering areas. I don't need anything besides a good place to watch a football game. And that's what Highmark Stadium is. Now, I also think it's okay to simultaneously say that and acknowledge that they have to build a new stadium. They need to do it. It has to be done. As far as open air, the more I think about it, the more I am satisfied with that. I know selfishly, I don't ever want to sit in conditions that aren't perfect, right? Like, of course, you'd love to always have it 70 degrees, no wind. And, um, enjoy watching the game, but it is such a competitive advantage to have that open-air stadium. You're used to the winds. You're used to the cold. You're used to the snow. Bring Miami up into that in December. We saw it last year. The Bills won by 30. Week 17, the Dolphins needed to win the game to go to the playoffs. Couldn't handle it. Could not handle the cold. I'm not trying to give that up. I think it matters. I think that the Bills should definitely be committed to an open-air stadium, despite selfishly how much I would enjoy never having to worry about the rain. It's a competitive advantage that I would not be willing to give up if I had a say in the matter when it comes to the new Bills stadium. Football is back and better than ever, and all eyes are on the gridiron with teams back on the field for another season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and bet online is where the game starts. The next few questions are going to be about the offensive line and the first one comes from Lawrence who wants to know what the Bills offensive line PFF grades were from Sunday against Houston. Here they are. Deion Dawkins graded at a 63.1, Ike Bucker graded at a 61.4, Mitch Morse 73.1. Daryl Williams, 44.5, and Spencer Brown, 59.5. And then Daniel had a question about the offensive line moving forward. Obviously, it's a new group with Spencer Brown at right tackle, Daryl Williams at right guard, Ike Bakker at left guard, Cody Ford, and sounds like John Feliciano to the bench. And Coach McDermott on Monday confirmed that this is going to be the group moving forward. And so I'm a little bit surprised... Mostly because this is not close to the combination that they started the year with. You know, you basically are admitting that you whiffed on figuring out who your best five offensive linemen are in three spots. That's kind of concerning to me. Now, I'm really excited about Spencer Brown. I think he's going to be so good at right tackle. I think Daryl Williams can give the Bills a boost on the interior. I like that that kind of squeezes the left guard spot, and you have the opportunity to choose between Bakker, Ford, and Feliciano. But I'm surprised that it's Bakker after you started the year with Ford and Feliciano, and then you rotated Bakker in for week one, and then you didn't really play him the next couple of weeks, and now all of a sudden he's your preferred starter at left guard. just seems odd that... They whiffed so bad on assembling this group, and I know that a lot of this stems from the Feliciano injury and wanting to make sure that Spencer Brown was ready, but man, I think it's kind of weird. So I like that they've got a group here that they feel comfortable with, and the makeup of it is something that I like, but you couldn't figure this out a little sooner. You had a regular offseason, you had training camp, you had... Preseason, but it took three games and an injury for you to figure out that this is your best five offensive linemen. The next one comes from James who says, First, I hope you and your wife enjoyed the game today. Second, there are a lot of fun personalities on this team, and I love every bit of it, but I have to single out Spencer Brown today. So many videos of him talking trash like a vet. Seriously, I loved it. From a quick view, it looks like he played an outstanding game. Am I right, or did his attitude get me fooled? And then I want to kind of join Christian's question with James and answer it all together. Christian says, how much of Spencer Brown's strong starting debut was due to his growth and preparedness versus the quality of the opponent? So I definitely believe that Spencer Brown played great on Sunday. And James mentioned some of those chirpy moments where he's talking trash to Spencer Brown, He's signaling the first down. He's putting guys on their back. He's driving guys off the field. I mean, he was terrific, and he really popped, not just because his blocking was outstanding, but because you saw that competitive fire coming out of him. And so I loved that. I mean, you think about a rookie in his first NFL start, and you start to get concerned that he's going to be wide-eyed and making mistakes. Nope, not Spencer Brown. He's out there chirping, talking trash, showing energy, but still focused and playing really well. You have to love that edge that he brought to the offensive line. And this guy has unreal physical talent. He's the best athlete on the team. It's not close. His relative athletic score is a perfect 10. He is a rare physical specimen, and I think he's going to be a high-quality starter for the Bills for a long time. Now, Christian made the point about, you know, did he play well because of him growing and preparing and meeting the moment, or did he just play the Texans and feasted on that? I don't think you could go that way with a right tackle. I don't think you could really pin this on quality of opponent. He went out there and blocked other NFL players. I know the Texans aren't a good football team, But that doesn't mean that they have horrible players everywhere that don't belong in the NFL. Spencer Brown blocked NFL-worthy players that are out there competing for their careers, right? Your tape is your resume. They're trying to put good tape out there on every single snap. Now, obviously, they're a limited football team. They don't have a starting quarterback. They have a coaching staff that looks kind of clueless. But that doesn't mean that the players that Spencer Brown blocked effectively aren't worthy opponents and that we should just overlook it. So I think it is about Spencer Brown, his talent, the way he prepared, and the way he's grown. And I talked about that during preseason. Every single game I thought Spencer Brown got better and better and better. And I'm sure that continued throughout the first few weeks of the regular season. You saw him come in late in games and play really well. And he got his first start, so he's been on a very consistent, linear plan here that has culminated with him making a really strong debut as the Bills' starting right tackle. I can't wait to watch this guy moving forward. His potential is literally off the charts. The next one comes from Carlin, who says, Hope you had a great time in Western New York and at the game this weekend. My question for this week is a little open-ended, But can you talk about what you think is the best offensive line combination that we could put out there? I thought Spencer Brown played really well, and incorporating him could make sense. But how would it all look? I know offensive line is your bread and butter, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I do think that Spencer Brown has won me over as the right tackle. Again, really consistent growth every time I've had a chance to watch him play. So I like him at right tackle. Obviously, I like Morse at center. Obviously, I like Dawkins at left tackle. Now, as for the other guard spots, I do think that Darrell Williams can be the right guard. I would never play him on the left side. I thought that's where you saw the problems come in Carolina is when the Panthers played him at left tackle and left guard, and he just is not a left-side player. Keep him on the right side, and I think he can be an effective guard. Now, that puts you between Ford... Bakker and Feliciano at left guard. There's a big part of me that would love to see Feliciano get that job and bring that value in the run game, but he has to be more consistent in pass protection. Ford has been nothing but inconsistent. Bakker is boringly sound, and there's probably the least amount of variance when it comes to Bakker. So to me, it's Bakker unless Feliciano just rises to a level that forces you to put him in the lineup. The other valuable thing about Feliciano is that he can play center as well. So I know that was a big part of Bakker last year that Sean McDermott attributed some of his development to is that they said, hey, don't worry about center. Just play guard. And he played well. So I would roll with Bakker at left guard unless Feliciano just forced the issue. The next one today comes from Mr. Furious who says... Given the value of the cornerback position in the NFL, it wouldn't be a surprise if someone tried to sign Cam Lewis off of our practice squad. If so, I would activate him. The question is, who would you cut to make room? I would cut Breida. They haven't figured out how to incorporate his speed into the offense. Antonio Williams is an adequate backup for this offense, and I'd rather have cornerback depth than Breida. What do you think? So first of all, regarding Cam Lewis, The Bills have protected him on the practice squad every single week so far this year. So as long as they continue to do that, another team cannot sign him to their active roster. So while he is on the practice squad, the Bills do have that control of him. Now as for believing that he should be on the active roster, I can get behind that. And I like the idea of having a sixth cornerback on the roster. And I do think that you have identified the right player to part ways with in Matt Breida to incorporate Lewis to the active roster. So that would be a perfectly fine plan to me. However, you don't actually have to do anything as long as you continue to protect him as a practice squad player. Next one today comes from B. Mormon 2020, who says. Have you noticed Josh Allen getting off to a slow start in games this year? If so, how would you fix that for the KC game? A pick to start against Kansas City would make it instantly very hard to win. Maybe get Allen some design runs, manufacture Beasley open for easy completions, and more running plays to start the game. Go Bills. Well, I think you've identified some good ideas. What I would do is I'd ask Josh Allen. I'd say, hey, Josh. What can we do? What plays can we call? Help me develop the opening game script so that you're comfortable right away. I think that's just about Ken Dorsey, Brian Dable, Josh Allen sitting down and saying, hey, what do you guys want to do? What's the best plan for us to start the game? And make Josh comfortable by empowering him and coming up with that opening script together. That's what I would do. And so Josh has said in the past, I believe it was on the Mark Sanchez podcast, that when games first start, he has some jitters to work out. He's squeezing the ball pretty hard, doesn't come out of his hands very well, and he would rather take a hit early. And so, yeah, I would do a design run or something with him. I'd get him moving outside the pocket and have him throw on the run, something like that. Something to get him in rhythm. But that would really... Start with us having a conversation together and talking about what that script looks like so that way you know he's comfortable with what you're going to call to start the game. Today's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your pocket. Save time and save money when using rockauto.com. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Do you know what's one of the best parts of football season? Dips. I'm talking about guacamole, salsa, bean dip, queso, artichoke dip, and the list goes on. My wife makes an amazing buffalo chicken dip, and we love having tortilla chips handy for taco soup and chili. But do you know what one of the worst parts is? When your chip breaks in dip. The team at Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips does not stand for weak tortilla chips because they know there is nothing worse than brittle chips that can't hold their guac. Look, folks, when I first found out about Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips and it being a company that built a chip that is designed to not break in guacamole, I was a little concerned. thought it would be too rigid, too firm, but they have honestly perfected the tortilla chip. You can dip it into the guac or the chili or whatever you like with confidence because it's going to hold up, and then the taste is delicious. They have sea salt on them. They have perfect texture. The crunch is amazing, and they're not too firm. They are just right. And Zach's Mighty partners with farms in upstate New York to grow their corn, so make sure to pick up a bag at your local Wegmans and say goodbye to weak chips forever. Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, stand up to guac. The next one today comes from Zach, who says, Last week you mentioned if the game was a blowout, the Bills might put some plays on tape that could be used as a decoy for upcoming opponents. Did you see any examples of that on Sunday? So, Zach, this is a good question. And honestly, I was watching the game on Sunday, and I found myself a little bit annoyed with some of the personnel groupings going 21 personnel at times doing some two tight end things, and I was asking myself, what is this offense? It was frustrating me with some of their personnel groupings and formations. I know it was wet and all that, but I was still a little perturbed by some of the personnel groupings. And then I reminded myself that, hey, this could be on purpose. They're putting this on tape because now Kansas City is seeing some different looks that they now have to prepare for. And then I was reminded, courtesy of Joe Miller on the Overreaction podcast, that a reason why we didn't see Josh Allen spread the football around to more weapons, like Gabe Davis and Jake Kumaro and Isaiah McKenzie, or getting the running backs involved in the passing game, only two targets for Beasley, I was reminded of my own analysis and thinking that the Bills probably did things intentionally against Houston, to A, give Kansas City more to prepare for, and B, to not tip their hand on some of the stuff that they are saving for that game. And so that's what came to mind when I read your question, and I had to remind myself of one of the ideas that I thought the Bills would have for the game. And I think the evidence in them actually putting plays on tape that could be used as a decoy or even to not tip their hand, was my own frustration over the personnel groupings and lack of distribution of the football. Next one comes from Mark who says, a roster question for you. When they decide to activate Marquez Stevenson from IR, is Matt Breida the natural cut? He was supposed to be the home run hitter, but that doesn't matter if he is a game day inactive. Seems like we could use a combo of McKenzie and Stevenson To give us that home run threat on gadget plays. What are your thoughts? I would agree with you. I think that Brita has quickly become one of the least valuable players on the team. And so if you want to activate Stevenson, your natural opportunity to do that is by cutting Brita to make space for him on the active roster. But if you don't feel like Stevenson is ready or you just want to buy more time if he is ready it'll probably take care of itself. Unfortunately, injuries are part of football. Eventually, the Bills are going to have to put a player on injured reserve. And so this very much could just take care of itself. The next one today comes from Tyler, who says, has either of the running backs made a strong case to become a bell cow back going forward? I'll be honest with you, Tyler. I don't think that you're going to see a quote-unquote bell cow back for the Buffalo Bills offense they're going to ride the hot hand. That's what they said they're going to do, and that's what they've done. And that's why every week we've had a different running back that we're starting to celebrate because they are legitimately riding the hot hand. Now, if somebody stays hot, they could claim a majority of the touches, but I don't think that you're ever going to see a Buffalo Bills running back under Coach McDermott consistently touch the ball 20, 25 times a game. I just don't think that's their vision for the position. We've heard McDermott come out and say it's not good to have one back carry the load. He wants to share those duties. And so I think that's going to be the way it is. So I don't envision there being a bell cow back for the Buffalo Bills offense. But the good news is the run game has been very effective, and they've done a good job of using both Moss and Singletary to this point. The next one today comes from Bob, who says, I was wondering what you think the one thing we can do defensively this week against the Chiefs would be the biggest difference in the game. Is it pass rush to affect the quarterback? Is it finding a way to cover Kelsey? Is it winning the turnover battle? Is it something else? And so I think this is a good question, and obviously we're going to talk Kansas City Chiefs a ton the rest of the week. Tomorrow is going to be the primer. Thursday we'll talk the lockdown Chiefs leftover thoughts, maybe even something else. And while I think everything you said is very important, if there's one thing that I think the Bills will need to do defensively is play great red zone defense. Kansas City is going to get yards. They're going to move the football. They're going to have some explosive plays. But if you can make them kick field goals and not score touchdowns, I think that's the best thing that can happen for your defense. Pressure on the quarterback is going to be important. Covering Travis Kelsey is going to be important. But if you can just make them kick field goals and not score touchdowns, that is the most important thing that can happen for you defensively because the reality is they're going to gain yards. You just need to limit the scoring. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Like I said, we're going to do our comprehensive primer on the Chiefs tomorrow. I'm going to spend a lot of time researching and really coming up with my best ideas that I can deliver for you. I know we've talked a lot about the Chiefs over the offseason. I'll build upon some of those ideas. Obviously, I'll incorporate what we've learned about Kansas City so far through four games, and we'll come up with what I think is the best plan for the Bills On Sunday. So don't miss the primer tomorrow. Again, Locked On Chiefs, the crossover podcast on Thursday. Friday, we'll close it out with predictions and injury discussion, and of course, my leftover thoughts. And then I think there could be another episode this week as well. So stay tuned. Make sure that you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to give me a five star rating and a review. I hope you have an awesome Tuesday, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.